Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. Allow me to introduce today's guest. Welcome back, Inspiring People and Places. We are excited for our guest today. And I I should probably say Happy New Year because I think this is going to be our first release of the 2024 year. So we're recording before Christmas, but this will be our first release. So Happy New Year. Hope your year is off to a good start. Today's guest and I have, we share some roots in how we grew up in this industry. And I'm really excited to welcome him because his career trajectory since I met him has been off the charts. Excited to welcome Dave Kaminsky, VP and GM of the Philadelphia Business Unit at Turner Construction. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, BJ. Pleasure to be here. You know, I guess Happy New Year to you, although we're in 2023 still. But yeah, now just good to see you again and uh, happy to spend the next hour with you. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. I, I think we should give some shout outs to all of those senior professionals that shaped us early on. Dave and I shared some time at Aberdeen Proving Ground on the C4ISR construction program, which was about a $1.2 billion construction project, military construction at Aberdeen Proving Ground for the C4ISR community. And I think we both got baptized by fire there in <laughs> more ways than one. So Denny Rainier, Holly Green, Roger Lefferts, Randy Holt, probably missing missing a few others from the Turner side, but I, I learned a lot from all of those professionals in you know the the pre-meeting conversations and the post-meeting conversations, like what the hell went on in that meeting? And uh, I mean that that was that was my first project. That was my first it, real project. That was my introduction to call it commercial construction, which was an unbelievable project to to start on. Yeah. So that's how we get started on the on the podcast though, is you're now the the VP and GM of the Philadelphia Business Unit. Give us the elevator pitch on on what that role is and what the Philadelphia business unit is. From my perspective, it's gotta be a big, big business unit and a busy marketplace. So give us that and then we'll go back to the beginning of the career education and how you how you you know navigated your career to this yeah. spot now. Sure. So Turner Construction is, you know, general contractor, the, the largest general contractor in the United States. And for the most part, we do commercial construction, anywhere from hospitals, research, development, sports, offices. We do, we do it all. And like you said, my, my, our territory is Philadelphia. So, so it's pretty much, I always say, south of Princeton uh, on the Jersey side. So also cover South Jersey, the south of Princeton on the Jersey side. And then everything east and south from state college harrisburg east so call it eastern pennsylvania and then all of delaware okay so locally locally we've got about uh you know on average 180 staff um that are you know pms engineers superintendents managing the work including office staff and then we do have some um carpenters and laborers on staff uh that probably adds another 30 to 40 uh, on average, and what's a total construction value in a, a average in a given year for your unit? Yep. So our unit, on average, between 
call it 500 and 700 million a year. And like I said, that's, that's that same territory. So we have offices in Jersey and Pittsburgh and Baltimore that kind of flank us that, you know, do their own same operation, same group, but they, they manage all that work there. Got it. All right. So we talked early about you, you kind of cut your teeth on the C4ISR project with me. That was the, the start of our career. Where did you go to school? What did you major in? Went to the University of Delaware, which, you know, I say is the, the closest school to an Ivy League that's not Ivy League right now. And uh, I studied civil engineering. So grew awesome. up in media, the media, Pennsylvania area. So University of Delaware, an easy 40, 30 minute drive down 95. Spent four years there studying engineering. And then I went to the career fair, as you know, most folks do their, their junior year. I saw, I seeked out Turner. I saw Turner and did just like anybody else would do. I did the two interviews and, and was hired at Turner coming out, of, uh, coming out of Delaware. Got it. And then how long did you stay on Aberdeen Proving Ground Project? What were you doing down there? And then and talk to us about your career path since then. Yeah. So Aberdeen was pretty much my first job. I was on a very small job just like as I started and when the time in was to, for a couple of months. But Aberdeen okay. was the first job for me at, at Turner. So I was I was I went on as pretty much a field engineer, you know, a new hire. And like you said, you know, you, you pull up to the site and you know, I, I, I didn't have any expectations of what, what I was getting myself into. I, I knew what kind of work Turner did, but that site itself, you know, we did, I think it was nine buildings over, I, I, I forget how many acres. I mean, we had Kubotas that we would get on to, to drive to the building yeah. um, just because of the, how much space there was on site. And uh, so I started as a field engineer. My first boss, Mark Wagner, really helped me just open up what I was doing. He he let me take a lot of the ME mechanical electrical plumbing work and kind of just shepherd it and, and oversee it from the early start. So field engineer, really just trying to learn what I could learn on site as quick as I can. I mean, he, he called me the sponge. That was my nickname in the beginning. So I was like, <laughs> give me anything. I'll learn it as, as quick as I can. I didn't come in acting like I knew everything God's gift to construction. I didn't, you know, you come out of school, you, you know, technical stuff, but you're not, you know, you only know as much as you've seen in real yeah. life. And, and I think that that humility also needs to come into play too, because with the subcontractors you're working with, they know you don't know it. So if you, if you're not, if you don't approach it in the right way, I mean, they can make you look really good or really bad. It reminds me of starting out in the army, like platoon leaders, you come out of West Point or you, you graduate and you, you get just enough information to be confident to show mm -hmm. up, but not quite competent to do the job. And yep. if you think that you're smarter than you are, your platoon will bury you. Oh, yeah. uh, But if you ask lots of questions and, and recognize that level of humility, like, hey, I have responsibilities and yeah, you technically work for me, but you know, we're here to, we're here to execute a mission. You'll be a lot more successful. So I appreciate that, uh, that perspective. When talk to us about exactly what a field engineer is responsible for in a, in a situation like that for Turner, because there, there's a lot of people coming off active duty. Maybe they're a, 
second or a first lieutenant or a captain, got an engineering degree, you know, maybe quote, take a step back to, to a junior position, start out as a field engineer, what would they be doing in that role? Yep. So I'll start with a project superintendent. So a superintendent is usually the, the boots on the ground, managing and coordinating the work in the field. And the field engineer is, call it what we call level one, a new hire, someone coming right out of school. That's the title of field engineer. You're not an assistant superintendent yet in, from, from a level standpoint, but your, your role is pretty much, you may get a trade or two in the field to cover, and you're, you're managing that sub. Got it. And so you're, you're doing everything you can to make sure they're staying on schedule, on budget in the field. You're getting them answers as needed. You're trying to coordinate problems, concerns, challenges within the field on paper so they're prepared for when they're ready to perform their job. Got it. So, it, I mean, but every, <laughs> it's funny, every, every job is different and the responsibilities that people give out to folks on project, like, you know, it's different. Yeah. It depends on the individual. It depends Other duties on, as assigned. Yeah, exactly. How, how micromanaged someone wants to be or how relaxed or laid back in how they give work out to people that are just starting. And for me, I, I just wanted to learn. I mean, I, I, I was like, give me as much as you can. And, you know, when you can see nine buildings come up out of the ground and you're seeing site work and you're seeing steel and you're seeing concrete and you're seeing all that nine different times, like it starts to get ingrained in your head of like, oh, this is, this is cool. This is how it works. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I had some, I had some challenges on this building and I'm not going to do that again on this building. Right. And you're trying to work through it. And, and for me, it was just, hey, how, how much can I learn here? I mean, I, you can't ask for a better opportunity to start a career than to see a site like that and to work with a team. I think we had, you know, around 40 people on our team on the CM side, you know, yep. the joint venture coming together, that trailer, you know, with 40 different, you know, personalities. <laughs> and then you had, you know, five, six, seven, 800 workers on site, yeah. you know, coming together to, to, to build it. Yeah, so it, it was, awesome. um, it, it was awesome. And I mean, looking back, I think everybody I've talked to that was on that project kind of had a boost in their career trajectory, I think, just from being exposed and learning. Like I said, baptism by fire. You learn probably 10 years of stuff in that three-year program because of the amount of stuff going on every day. Yep. I was, uh, I was on the, the core, the, call it the core shell buildings for the first two years. And then when the army moved in, there was some fit out work that they yeah. you know, wanted to change around. So I did stay for another year and I did the fit out because I was there and I knew the building and the facilities and the people I stayed for another year and did, uh, did the fit out with yeah. uh, a few folks after. So I was there and, three years. And you get to see, so you get to see it from a process standpoint, how a project executes from ground up. You get to see the tenant fit out and the tenant occupancy, the maintenance issues or the punch list close out. So you get yep. to see all the process. You get to see the technical aspects of what goes on in a building and the different trades and, and ask those questions. And to your point, when there's 800 laborers on a site and 100 different professionals trying to manage it, the personalities and the dynamics and the people, the people side, the oh, yeah. soft skill side, it, I think that's what I learned 
about the most in that situation. A hundred percent. I mean, people ask all the time. I'll say, I mean, it's probably greater than 50%, in my opinion, the personable side in our industry and in most industries. You know, technical is a, is a piece, but I'm I'm not heavy technical. I yeah. even on that job, I didn't, I didn't know anything technically. But for me, it was all right. You have so many of these resources. You know, the foreman that you're dealing with has been in the industry for 40 years. I'm not going to know more than that person that's right. been in the industry for 40 years. But how can I either motivate them or help them or make them look good in a different way, getting them an, an answer to an RFI? You know, if they have a question yep. in the field, how do I get that? To them quickly that makes their job easy they're going to help me I, you know you may need a favor later on where they may be doing something and you're like oh i don't really need you here it doesn't help me can you help me over here they're, they're gonna be willing to help you yeah and that like that's that give and take being personable understanding you know what motivates people and 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 the respect piece is huge and that was i saw that firsthand on that site yeah. All right. So from junior field engineer to business unit executive over probably a 15 year period, what happened in between? Talk to us about some of the, the highlight jobs yep. or, or project experiences you got. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I did a whole bunch of different assignments and departments. So from Aberdeen, I went to our New Jersey office and I did a couple interior jobs. So like an interior fit out yep. where I got to be the superintendent and the engineer, you know, and, and I got to see both sides of what we do in a, in a quick way. So they, they may be, it was like a six month job and then a, and an eight month job, but you got to see everything that was happening from start to finish quickly. And you were managing the budget and managing the subs, do, doing everything on that side to, to bring it in. So I hit that. From there, I went into our cost department. So that mm. it's a, it's a department within I know Turner and some other other firms have it that really manages manages the budget on all of our projects. Okay. And they manage they manage the budget, they manage the risk that's associated to the project and the budget. And then different you know, than estimating, or are they responsible for estimating too? Different than estimating. So once okay. the project is is through estimating and call it awarded and in, and we're working in the field, you know, well, you know, all these jobs, you have a budget that you're managing to our cost engineers will do an audit of, of all the, of the budget and make sure all the projections that we have moving forward are accurate. You know, we have contingency on the job. What's our burn rate each month, you know, we're yeah. spending is our contingency a million and we're spending a hundred thousand a month. And, you know, we still have nine months left. That's like so. It's, it. it's all those gut checks. We have a whole process at Turner that that audits that process and makes sure we stay on track to make what we said we were going to make. In the end, you know, we're a company that makes money too. Yeah, um, right. that's that's the business of the business at the end of the day. So exactly. getting getting exposed to that is, I mean, that's the lifeblood. Making sure cash is cash is collected, and you're not. Are you are you informing? In that role, are you, you know, I know you, you buy out subs before you get the job, but maybe you, maybe you're renegotiating because the market conditions have changed on material costs or on, are you responsible for that? Or are you just 
advising like, hey, we've got to do something and you're saying here are some levers we can pull to re- recover? Yeah. So so that role, we're, we're basically monitoring the budget from a buy stand, all of that financially. So we're, we're okay. giving a pulse on what the financial status of that job is. Is it on track? Is it at risk Got because it. of these four items? And we do, you know, we would do a report each month, and you know, it's pretty much on every job that we have. Um, so we, you know, it's a department of, of of a few, you know, three or four, depending on how many jobs we have at a certain time. And uh, you know, you partner with the project teams, right? And you know, the execs and the GMs and the OMs, the operations managers and and the financial managers, to basically give up, give a snapshot of where the job is each month. And I think that 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 position was like where I saw the business. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I knew we were I knew we were a business, right. but you didn't know we were a business until you saw it. And oh, okay, we are a business. We make money. We collect cash. And I I'm a I'm a you know I'm a big numbers guy. And that's that's probably why I am where I am. Why I went to engineering school. I was heavy math. I loved numbers. Loved investing. The economy is, you know, just something that interests me. Yeah. And so when I got there, it, it came, it came easy, which was good. I was able to do some other things while I was in that role too, which also helped to my next position. So from there, I went. We did the Eagle Stadium renovation. So we built the Eagle Stadium twenty years ago, or now, yeah, twenty years ago. Yeah. So ten years after we built the stadium. The Eagles renovated it. So they did a whole bunch of interior renovations. They they filled in a couple of the wings. They put out put put in a couple clubs in the underground. So when I was in, in cost, I was helping on pre-con there. Okay. The estimating side. And I was estimating that job with our sports group and then was able, lucky enough, to get the opportunity to go on to that job. So I spent two two years, two off seasons pretty much renovating that that whole building inside and out so i was you know i that's a cool job oh talk about a cool job i mean we were we i knew every area of that building i mean and you knew all the folks and it was funny because you'd be leaving after you know a full day of just doing everything that you were doing and you'd come into the parking lot and there'd be a phillies game and there'd be twenty thousand people tailgating in your parking spot (laughs) (laughs) It would just be funny, like even like Thursday night games, like preseason games, we we would work, and then we'd yeah. be leaving. we'd be leaving when Eagles fans were coming for the game. You know, some games we'd stay, but you know, some like we would be leaving. Yeah. And we'd be like, where? What? You're leaving? <laughs> and it was, but it was it was cool. It was a cool project. Still are connected with a bunch of the Eagles folks that 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 run that facility. And that's uh, great. Yeah, and it's just like it's. That's what's cool about this industry and what we do. You look back and you can, when you when I take when we take your kids there, it's like I was a part of that project, and they're yeah. like, "Really? That's awesome!" Yeah, that's... And, uh, you know, when when you're putting in new scoreboards and you get to sit on the fifty yard line one day and just listen to the AV and you're going, "Does this sound right?" Like that's a, <laughs> that's, a that's a pretty cool job too. Yeah, that's 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 winning that day. Yeah, so I, I went from there to. Uh, I went to FMC Tower. So that was a 50-story high-rise in Center City. So the bottom part of the building was office. The top was residential. So there was a 
a key component of that structure that was pretty cool went from uh, steel to concrete. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and you know, how many opportunities do you get in your lifetime to build a 50-story high-rise in Center City, Philadelphia? N- not that yeah. many, right? And uh, so I was the MEP manager on that job, and uh, really got to to manage and and be a part of a big team, right? And I think that was that was a cool opportunity to again, you know, see a, a big team come together and deliver a difficult project together. Yeah. And who are the? Uh, I'm jumping back, but. Aberdeen, you have kind of the core of engineers as the owner or owner's rep, at least the, the independent missions were kind of the owner. Eagle Stadium, who's the owner there that you're dealing with? Is the it Eagle. Jeffrey Laurie? Yeah, Laurie was in some meetings. Don Smolinski, the president. Yep. Yep. Um, there was, and uh, then they have a facilities group that's, there's some yeah. senior facility guy or gal. Yep. So there was a, there's an SVP at the time, Jason Miller, who I think is an EVP now there, who um, was overseeing all facilities. He was he was heavily involved, and then they did have an owner's rep who did a lot of sports work nationally. Okay, um, that was involved too. But yeah, the Eagles in themselves were, and you know Jeffrey was he was involved up front in the design. You know, right. when as the design is coming together, yeah, all the sexy fun stuff. Exactly, yeah. and then the facility guys at the end, and then FMC Towers. Is that a private developer or is it FMC? Yeah. No, that was that was Brandywine Realty Trust. Okay, so they were they were the developer. FMC was the was the anchor tenant. Got it. So they they took a bunch of the office floors. And they had their name on the building. So that was again, you know, you go in the center city and you come up to Google, you can see FMC yeah. Tower. You know, it's a it's a it's an iconic building. And again, it was a it was a awesome, unbelievable project to to put in the portfolio and. And, you know, just all the challenges that come with, with building a high rise in center city, I got the experience. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and so from there, I was uh, fortunate to get the opportunity to go into business development. So that's our sales and marketing department and really got to see how the business came together and how we win work and, and why it's important to deliver on commitments and, uh, you know, not just sell something, but, you know, you sell what you can deliver. And, you yeah. know, deliver on your word. And, you know, it's a lot of people side, you know, people internally, externally, architects, engineers, clients, connecting those dots. So I, I, I went when the business development became our, our business manager of business development. And then from there, I, I kind of went into our procurement department at kind of the same time. Oh, I, wow. bought out, I bought out a couple large projects. That was the, the one you city. Square development, so mm-hmm. help help launch that uh, procurement process and buy a couple of the large packages, and then transitioned into the general manager role right after that. So, it, I mean, you get exposed to some field work at Aberdeen. You get you you get some fit out work in New Jersey. You get some cost department work and seeing how cash flows and the business of the business. Then you get Eagles. Then you get back into the field for the the high rise. You've seen all types of project types, right? Fit out, stadium, sports, military, government, private developer. It's and then you and then you got to see how business is one, which outside of cash flow, new business coming in is the is the next most important thing. 
Um, well, I think that's the, that's the that's the single most important thing because you don't have cash <laughs> unless you have a job. So that's correct. <laughs> so it sounds like you were groomed for the role. Is it a typical? Is it a typical trajectory for somebody to get exposed to all that, or do a lot of people just choose to stay? Hey, I, I'm I'm a field guy. I want to be a project guy, and I move up that way. Yeah, I mean, it's there's no typical career path. Turner. At Turner, and it's okay. funny. It's, people ask it all the time, and I, I, I know for me, I, I wanted to, you know, people ask all the time, "What do you want to do at Turner? What's your ultimate?" I, my ultimate position is to keep learning. You put me in a position where I'm learning. I don't want to put a cap on, "Hey, I want to be this," because if I can continue to learn more and get to a different level or position, I want to do that. Yeah. Um, so I. At, at, after I went through cost and was on a couple of those jet projects, I did, you know, in my head, I did want to go the business side. And, you know, I, I, I but I was, that was, that's a part of what we call our career development. We have, you know, career development folks that we connect with here at Turner. And it's, it's a two way street. So a lot of people are like, hey, you, Turner, tell me what, what my career should be and tell me what you think is best for me. And there's others that are like, hey, I'd like to do this, this, and this. Right. And if it works out with timing and, and where that person's at with their career, you know, the company tries to, you know, with skill set, skill sets, tries to make that work too. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to go into business development. That was a, that was a good, good transition there. And, and, you know, my, my, my boss at the time or RGM at the time, Chris Beck was also, you know, he, he had a similar business development path. Like he, he bought out a couple of jobs. And so, he, you know, he was just advising, like, hey, this, this really helped me in my career to see some of this different stuff within the different departments. Where you talk with other folks that are very successful at, their comp- at our company, they've been in the field their whole time. Mm. And they've learned a lot of that within the field side. So there's not a, a right way or a wrong way. Got it. You know, yeah, that, it just seems sense. like it, it's it's a real holistic development that you went through, and now yeah, you're you're leading a pretty big business unit. Where does Philly rank in the size of business units? <laughs> I imagine New York is bigger. Yeah, they are. New York, Boston. I mean, top top ten. It, it varies on the year. You know, we're fortunate as a company to be a part of some of the 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 bigger market segments with like, you know, a lot of the data center work and some large projects nationally yeah. where some of those projects, you know, if you, you win a two or $4 billion project, they can, <laughs> they can tip the, tip the scales a little bit each year. So, everybody everybody say, would love to have one, one or two of those. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'd say, I'd say in the top seven. So you, you hit on, you always want to be learning. I want to give you a shout out and thank you for, for coming. You, you spoke at our MCFA University last month. Talk to us about a, a leadership lesson or, or two that has served you well throughout your career. Always be learning and being the sponge sounds like one of them. What else has served yeah. you well? It, um, it's a great question. I, I know for me, um, you know, as you grow through different roles, Challenging staff is always one that you know people do in different ways, and you know having empathy with certain situations, but also knowing I will work alongside this person for ten years, and now you're trying to push 
that same person in a different way to expand and grow? And how do we do more? And I, I will, I'll say, uh, you know, uh, a, a challenge just in leadership for, for me is always how, how do we challenge staff in the right way where you're, you're motivating them to want to get to that threshold? You can't be one way, you know, and yell all the time. You know, people get different people get motivated in different ways and trying to understand what motivates each individual and hitting that it is, I, I think, huge in, in any business, especially ours that are that are tied with so many different stakeholders, architects, subcontractors, clients, owners, you know. So uh, that's a good one. It, you know, when you're you've got to challenge your staff and you've got to motivate, inspire, mentor, teach, trying to, you know, always, I think, you know, you and I have talked about this, unlock their potential that you see in them inside of yeah. the organization or for the benefit of them and the organization. Talk to us about leading clients because our, our, our industry is not the easiest industry to be the general contractor talking to the owner and constantly delivering, you know, news about, all of the obstacles we're navigating yeah. on their behalf and the bill that comes along with it. Yeah. I, well, I'll say, and I'll say this because it, it's something that is a challenge through all different levels. I, we hear all the time, you know, I don't want to upset the client. So, you know, we try to figure out things to every nth degree when a, when a challenge or a problem arises to, to figure it out before communicating anything because communicating something that may be negative, you know, always is not the best news. But I'll say as through the last few years in this position, I, I think communication is key. I think clients want to know. I think clients want to be pushed. If they're not making decisions, they will say, tell me, push me, let me know I'm holding you up. You know, I was on the call with the client earlier today and she was like, hey, I, I need you to push this person who is working with your team, I know he may not be moving as quick as he should be to get you answers. Yeah. Push him. Don't be scared. You're going to hurt his feelings. I will handle that. And, and she's like, in the end, she's like, I, you know, I'm, you, you're here to help us and to, and to protect us. Like, I want you to protect yourself too. Yeah. I also want you to protect us. And I think so many times our staff thinks, you know, there's this like, the client's here and we're here. It's like, no, we're here together going to, in this mission together. And yeah. how do we protect each other? I think that honest communication up front, you know, if we see something, it's, it's bringing it up, letting them know, hey, we saw this. We're letting you know that we're trying to figure out how we can handle it. They may have a solution that we don't even know about. And right. if we try to hide it for three weeks, not hide it, but mask it because we're trying to figure it out for them. Right. That could be a concern too, but there's also the balance of just don't just come with me with every problem without a solution. So you want to, you know, try to think of creative ways to come up with solutions too. Ebb and ebb and flow that communication. Yeah. And, and to that point, like we, I I remember always thinking like you can't you can't present a financial problem to a client like it just avoid that at all costs. And it's like they know when things are going to cost them money and they're like, Oh yeah, we have that in our own contingency. 
Like, ah, oh, whew. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we yeah we know that wasn't we know that wasn't in the plans or that wasn't in the project budget. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, <laughs> we're 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 going through that right now on the project, and you know we we got on the call with the client, and and it was the same client I was just talking about, and she was like, I, I know it's not on the drawings, and I know you don't have that in your budget. I want you to have that in your budget. I don't want you <laughs> to exclude it. I want you to have it. So add what you think will protect you and us. And let's talk about it. But I want, like, it makes sense for you to do that scope and it makes sense for you to coordinate it. I don't want you to tell me, you know, you don't have it and us to get down the road. And then you're like, hey, by the way, we didn't have that. And it now it costs three times more because, you know, you got to yeah. hire someone quickly and you're in the middle of a project. That's, that's great. All right. So always be learning communication and understanding the nuance of, of motivating different people. All. Oh, yeah. All great, all great lessons. Inspiring People in Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE verified, service disabled, veteran owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people in places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. Switching gears, some rapid fire questions. Any favorite quotes? Favorite quote. So uh, I, I have a few. I actually keep on my phone. I got it on my notes. I got a note section and it's actually called the motivation on my notes section. And I have probably 50 to 100 different quotes on there that I just look at right. every day in, in different ways. Um, a few of them. If you have no critics, you will likely have no success. That, that's Malcolm X. So yeah. you can't please, you can't please everybody. Um, you gotta, you gotta learn to make decisions. They're the best decisions that you think are. And then the other one I, I love and I, I say all the time, better to be optimistic and wrong than pessimistic and right. And, <laughs> you know, like I, I hear so many times people being pessimistic and they want to be right. And, you know, I'd rather think bigger picture, think optimistically and be wrong than, you know, I told you so and be that, be that pessimistic. Amen. How about favorite books? <laughs> favorite books. I'll say the one. One of my favorites is, and it's going to sound a little weird, but it's called Be Unreasonable. It's, it's by Paul Lindbergh. And it's, a, it's again, it's a motivation book, but it's, I'll give you like an example. Like there's ways where you want to be unreasonable to folks. Like if you're raising money and you put it, hey, we're trying to raise $10,000. Or if you go, hey, we're trying to raise a million dollars. A million may be unreasonable, but you may get to 150000 and come short. Then just get to the ten thousand and be happy, right? And you may, like so that's there's when you're reasonable, you, you sometimes use the same strategies that everyone else uses, and you stay even keel. If you can set goals much higher, you may not get there. You may come a little bit short, but it may be higher than those reasonable goals that you put forth. I like it. I just started a book. I can't really give a a rating on it, but just the intro. It's called Unreasonable Hospitality. And it's that mindset of like giving somebody something unexpected, you're going to stand out that much more. And whether and and that applies to all industries, not just the hospitality industry or a restaurant, but all industries. Like if this service is unreasonably good above my expectation, it's gonna it's gonna last that much or or make that bigger of an imprint on the on the experience oh, yeah 
And something else I thought of as as we were talking about that. Oh, uh, Tim Ferriss has a question that he asked, um, and and I'm just reacting to the the million dollars versus the ten thousand dollars. If this were easy, what would it look like? And yeah. I just think that like it changes the mindset of like this is so hard or this is impossible. Hey, if this were easy, what would it look like? Hundred uh, percent right. If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would they be? Three people. It's a dinner party, um, so they're all together. Yep. So I'll, I'll go Elon Musk, just because of you know the the different thoughts and and things that go through his head. Talk about thinking big. Yeah, innovative thought. Kobe Bryant. I love Kobe. He's competitive. His competitive nature, just preparation. My my favorite sports athlete of all time and i'll bring my wife along with me too so she can experience it with me yeah it's a good family man (laughs) i think it was the 2008 olympic documentary did you see that with kobe kobe was like the guys were coming back from from the bars at like three o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning and they run into kobe and he's headed to the gym and like he's lifting and and that was like the catalyst to change the culture of the team was like it, that one person like oh they start reflecting on themselves like if Kobe's there we maybe we should step up our game. Yep, um, no, I remember that. That was an awesome. I, I love that. Yeah. Tombstone. What do you want your legacy to be? How do you want to be remembered? I'd say from a from a work side, you know, just from a you know, uh, someone that motivated folks and created more leaders in the industry. We hear all the time, you know, do you have followership? You know, who follows you? You know, do you have people that want to follow you? And it's, you know, for me, it's, I don't want people to follow me. I want to, like, sure. But you want to create that open thought process of how do we create more leaders? How do you, how do you, how do you grow this industry larger and how do you enable others to, to step up and, and, uh, grow also so i'd say say from a from a work standpoint that and then from a family standpoint just you know a a good dad and husband that cared for his family i i do a lot for work and i'd say my family sees that and experiences it and you know i can't be the the basketball and the baseball coach that i would like to be but you know I, i try to do things in different ways for my family to give back and if i can just continue to to show that i think that'll be that would be huge for me awesome and then close us out in the words of andy reed time's yours anything (laughs) you want to share with our industry yeah i think you know for me what's what's always helped is you know i I, I go go, nike right just do it Mm -hmm. understanding you know you have the ability to make decisions and go depending on what position you're in. Uh, I, people I work with and work alongside, the successful ones are the ones that are that grab that initiative, take it, make a decision. They may say, "Hey, um, unless I hear otherwise from you, this is what I'm doing." And yep. like, that's a great way of managing up. It's a great way of of going. I've got it. I've I've put great thought and energy into what we're doing. This is why, and this is, you know, and I I think there's a lot of folks in every industry that are always like, I I don't know what power I have. I don't know what decision I can make. Like no one ever comes into a position 
these are the decisions specifically you can make. These are the, like, maybe there are, yeah. but I know, I know in most industries there's not. And it, it makes everybody's life easier if you have people that are quick that can, can make sound decisions um, and communicate them out and, and push the ball forward. I think that's a, that's a huge takeaway for me. I think that's a great challenge to our, to our entire industry. And, it, and it's, it's the key to keeping, keeping the industry moving forward and to keep projects going forward. So Dave, wishing you and the Turner team a uh, Merry Christmas and a, and a successful and profitable 2024. Yep. Thank you so much for joining the uh, podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for the time. Same to you. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's. Appreciate the time and looking forward to the next year. All right, brother. We'll talk soon. Yeah, yep, thanks. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.